Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh, yes, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, listen, before we get into the show, we have some good news. And would you say this is good news? This is great news, Ross. I mean, I kind of came out of the blue, um, you know, and uh, we want to, you know, well, we'll thank the we'll thank the proper people in a minute. But I mean, just kind of came out really out of the blue, and I, I'm really excited because it's an opportunity for us to uh, do something good for our listeners, which is really kind of cool. We are always looking to do good things for our listeners. That's what it's all about, and so we can actually uh, let the people know that we have procured. Thanks to the Philadelphia Flyers. What? Yes. Thanks to the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, we have procured tickets to the Flyers alumni game. So we're going to be doing some giveaways here over the next couple of weeks uh, between episodes of Snow the Goalie, as well as the Press Row Show. And heck, maybe we'll even bury something in one of Anthony's recap articles uh, to incentivize you to also go over to the site and read the Flyers content there. But we're going to be giving away tickets to the Flyers alumni game. It's really exciting stuff. There are a lot of people who are trying to get there uh, who are interested in going to this game. It's going to feature a lot of, you know, your favorite former Flyers, including our very own Chris Terrian. So, Ant, what can we tell the people? Well, I think this is pretty awesome. Um, you know, th- thanks to the Flyers for, for doing this. And they're giving us multiple. We're doing this in pairs, right? I believe we're going to do it in pairs, yes. Yes, yeah, so multiple, multiple pairs of tickets. Um, but thanks to the, to the Flyers, uh, specifically um, uh, Sean Coit over in the uh, uh, their um, PR department. Um, just awesome guy. Great, great to uh, great to us all the time. And, uh, you know, giving us these tickets to, to give away. Um, but I think it's really kind of cool. And it's, it's kind of fun, you know, to get people out there and see some of the, um, you know, the former players and former stars. And you know what I hope happens here, Russ? What do you hope? Happens, I, I, I hope I, I really hope this is an opportunity you know, for, you know, we're, we've been critical at times to, to the people on the, on the business side, you know, about not recognizing what the fans love about hockey in Philadelphia. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I hope that this is an opportunity for them to see it firsthand because th- th- this game is going to be sold out. They, they will yep. sell every ticket for this. I promise them they will sell every ticket for this game. Um, and just the appreciation that the fans have for these specific players and what the alumni of the Flyers mean to the sporting landscape of Philadelphia. Um, and and uh, so I really think that it'll be a special night for, for the players. It'll be a special night for the fans. And hopefully it'll be a special night for the organization to you have a little bit of a uh, recognition uh, of their past and, and, and what, what that still means today, uh, even though... Uh, you know, we are transitioning to a new generation of hockey fan. I still think you're going to see just how much uh, these players are loved and appreciated. Flyers alumni, by the way, announced that Dan McGillis has been added to the game roster. They added that today. Uh, Bernie Perrant is now recovering from back surgery, so he will not be uh, in attendance or or will not be on the ice for this game. So we wish him a speedy recovery. Uh, But I, I just in case people haven't seen this, there are a number of off-ice participants who are going to be part of this game as well, including Bill Barber, Bob Clark, Bill Clement, Gary Dornhofer, Bob Kelly, Ian LaPerriere, Dave Schultz, Jason Smith, 
Rich Sutter and Jim Watson. So uh, a lot of your favorites, a lot of your favorites from over the last few decades are going to be either on the ice. Well, that's the off the, the ice crew. What, who's going to yeah, be I'm on saying, the ice? I'm, I'm, I'm saying that those are all the, the fine folks that are going to be, um, you know, off ice participants. participants. Yeah. Yeah. But who's so. playing? You should tell them who's playing. I'm pulling up the roster right now. So, and did it ever occur to you that like maybe? All right. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll mention a few names. It's pretty easy to mention. I mean, Eric Lindros, number one, John LeClaire, number two, Danny yeah. Briere, uh, Simone Gagne. Uh, you mentioned Bundy, who's uh, going to be doing it. He's going to be there. Uh, hopefully uh, repping Snow the goalie as well. We'll talk about that down the road. Um, <laughs> uh, hey, another, another guest of Snow the goalie has, is going to be playing. Former flyer Mike McKenna. How about that? Biggest suitcase in the NHL. Remember that? The biggest suitcase in the NHL. I do. Now he's working yes. with Sarah Volley over at um, Daily Faceoff, right? Yeah, he's working with Frankie, That's which is cool. great. Um, yeah. and, and the reason, and people say, well, why Mike McKenna? Like, why does that matter? I'll tell you right now that the hardest thing for the alumni to do was find goalies mm-hmm. because it's such, a, it's such a demanding position to play as you get older. So that's why you'll see guys like Mike McKenna and Neil Little um are your are involved here where they would only had a cup of coffee with the flyers um i think robert ash is the other goalie um they'll probably have them rotate probably between the two teams or one guy play on both sides either way um unless they find a fourth goalie somehow some way um, but they're the hardest ones to go and, and you know um i'm sure you know Bush would love to play, but I know that he he's had some some injury issues in the past recently uh, that probably prevents him from going out there. Um, so it's it's not it's not as easy to find the goalies, but uh, the skaters it's going to be a lot of fun. Mark Hal is going to play, right? Um, yep. You pull up the list yet? I'm I'm rambling here. While I didn't. <laughs> no, because I, I have I have another screen behind me, so it's it doesn't matter. Listen, people can pull up the list now. That's not the main thing. The main thing is that we have tickets that we're going to be giving away over the next couple of weeks. Again, on the podcast. We'll also uh, incentivize some people to tune in who might not otherwise be tuning into the Press Row Show. So there are two games to take place between now and um, and the alumni game. Uh, the first one is on Tuesday when the Flyers take on Arizona. The Arizona Coyotes. The, the Coyotes. Wel- welcoming back Shane Gostaspare. And the Coyotes. And then, of course, uh, Wednesday the 10th, they're going to be hosting the Maple Leafs. The Maple Leafs. Not the leaves, the maple leaves. So uh, listen, make sure you tune into the show. Make sure you tune into the Press Row show. And like I said, we might even bury um, like a a keyword or a a little secret word or something in one of Anthony's uh, posts uh, following a Flyers game. And uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun. I think this is going to be a nice way to, to, you know, reach out and reward some of our listeners for, uh, you know, for being part of the show and, yeah. Big thank you to the Flyers. Yeah, awesome. I think it's gonna be a great, gonna be a great time for everybody. And without further ado, here's this week's Snow the Goalie. Hi, I'm Chuck Fletcher. Hi, my name is Olivia Neal, coach of the Flyers. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hey, this is Jeremy Roenick. Hi, this is Travis Sanheim. Hi, I'm Paul Hogan. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, I'm Joel Fairby. Hi, this is Bob Clark. And you're listening to Snow the Goalie. 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 Oh, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, people's podcast, players podcast, prognosticators podcast, PLA podcast, Pampers podcast, the the Pronger cast, the Knubel cast, the Bundy cast. I mean, listen, we're back. I know that it's late in the week. We're still trying to work out this whole three-man booth thing. 
And also we're trying to navigate the West Coast swing that the Flyers are on, which we are happy to report, as all of you listening can attest to, this has been a successful trip for the Flyers. Regardless of how things go on Saturday against Calgary, this has been a successful trip for this team. We're going to get into it. Uh, Bundy has been in and out of the country on personal and uh, business business. So he'll be back next week. He has guaranteed the people that he will be back with us next week. He's sorry that he hasn't you know, been available this week. We're trying to work around it. We're trying to figure something out possibly with him for this weekend. If not, he'll definitely be back on for next week's episode. But uh, a lot of things that he's dealing with right now come first. They come before the podcast. And, and not only that, Russ, uh, and I don't want to announce it yet because we don't have it finalized just yet, but I think that Bundy's going to be providing us with something mm-hmm. pretty cool in a couple mm-hmm. weeks. Just, I'm just going to throw that out there. Something that's going to be really, really cool that I think you know no one else will – well, I shouldn't say no one else will have, but um, because I don't know what the Flyers' plans themselves might be in this realm. But um, I, I can guarantee you no other podcast will have. Um, and uh, if it comes to fruition, which we believe it will, we're pretty, pretty positive it will. We'll just have to work out a couple logistical things. Um, yeah, we'll have something really awesome um, for the fans in, in a couple weeks. So, I'm I'm working agree, the phone agree with that. Yeah, you it's going to be really yeah. awesome. Um, yeah. We're working out the logistics of it. I'm actually working on um, I'm working on something else right now. I feel like Adam Schefter off to the side <laughs> with the phone. Um, we're working on something else. I think that there are a few things that we could effectively offer to the people um, on the content side that, that are going to be really interesting. So it remains to be seen how we're going to execute it, but we're looking forward to it. And hopefully we'll have uh, some good news coming up here uh, in the next week or so. So, and um, yeah. I, I didn't even introduce you. That's how wonky this start of the episode has been. But of course, my co-host, my long-term pal, my BFF in this hockey world, Anthony Sanfilippo, who you can find on Twitter at AntSanPhilly. And has uh, has staying up for these games been worth your while? Yes, um, it may it may have cost me some sleep hours. Uh, it may have resulted in a couple of later posts than than usual. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but these well, the game in Edmonton was one of my favorite games to watch because of how it was played. It, it really took me back to hockey from you know as recently as 15 years ago but you know anytime really um from the from the 80s through 2004 when the lockout um first happened right um and then the game really changed after that yeah i mean yeah some rules have changed for the better to kind of take out you know the clutching and grabbing that was going on in the the 90s and early 2000s but nevertheless the intensity of the game and it it was too contrasting styles i mean the edmonton oilers are the fastest team in hockey i mean i i don't think i mean maybe colorado is the only other one i think that could be in that conversation with them um they are the fastest team in hockey and the flyers like to play big and physical and so to watch those two contrasting styles go against each other for a 60 minute you know it was 60 minutes of eye candy is what it was russ i mean it was just non-stop action 
whether it was the speed of the Oilers or the Flyers with a big hit or this turnover leading to this break and big save by a goalie or an incredible goal. I mean, the, the Atkinson goal with six tenths of a second left oh. uh, at the end of the first period was something else. I mean, the, the, the entire game was hockey as it's supposed to be played. And, and for for those of you who are in the you know the younger listeners um, who you know and you you really probably enjoyed the game. I can't imagine you didn't. I, I did not see one person say that you they would, didn't enjoy. Listen, it. you would have to be adult. You would. Ha- I, I don't know what you would be. Yeah, I don't even. I don't even know if there's a good enough noun to describe what you would have to be, or an adjective to describe what you would be. But if you walked away from that Flyers Oilers game and didn't walk away with a smile on your face, I don't know what to tell you. I think maybe you should pick a different sport because yeah, that, that that's game, it. that's the game that game embodies what hockey should be. It embodies what, you know, I certainly think everybody could, could, uh, you know, kind of speak to is that's kind of like what we fell in love with. I yeah. think a lot of hockey fans mm-hmm. and it kind of makes you upset in a way that you don't get to see the flyers play the Oilers more often. It makes you kind of upset that, so many teams in the metropolitan division don't play a style like this. Um, and it, it makes the kind of slog games that happen within the metropolitan division feel that much. I don't want to say boring, boring is not fair, but more of a, of a slog than maybe it should. And it's nice to get to see that not only have the flyers had success this season against teams uh, in the Eastern conference, but like they, they found success against a team that, quite frankly, can beat you up and down the ice in terms of speed. And they were able to neutralize that speed on a number of occasions and come away with a result that I don't think anybody really truly believed they could. And so it's kind of hard thought, right now. I thought, to be... I thought I read a prediction like that on crossing broad. No. Oh my God. All right. So we, we need to, <laughs> we need to do a really quick breakdown of this. Like I know that sometimes people get upset when we like pat ourselves on the back, but Anthony has been, so we, we know this, but like Anthony writes the betting previews for the flyers over on crossingbroad.com and also writes the ones for the penguins on Pittsburgh hockey now, but we're not going to talk about that. Right. Um, but Anthony wrote up this, uh, this flyers Oilers preview and, you know, Anthony likes to tout that he does a good job with these things. Right. It's the same way that like Phil who writes the Sixers ones like to tout his golf picks because that was something that he had been doing over on elite sports, New York. And we're like, all right, Phil, like, let's, let's see how good they are. And like, Phil would, I, I think he nailed like the last three winners or something like that for golf tournaments. And it's like, I don't bet on golf, but like Phil was spot on. So Anthony usually likes to say like, Oh, I can identify the trends. I, I do a pretty good job. I help my degenerate gambler friends who say, Hey, what should I pick? And then Anthony does this thing. And, and if you're watching right now on the YouTube channel, Anthony kind of like does the hand, not the hand on the hip, like when a lady's about to like get into it with you because you've upset her, but Anthony kind of does this like hand on the desk and kind of like a slight lean back, little squinting of the eyes, like a, what's up? Uh, That's what he does whenever he talks about, you know, his betting previews. But listen, here were Anthony's picks for Flyers Oilers on crossingbroad.com. Flyers to lead after the first period. Almost didn't get there, but Cam Atkinson scores with 0.6 seconds left in the first. We'll take it. That cashed out. So that was a plus 210. So if you put $100 on it, you would have won 210. He had Ryan Nugent Hopkins to score at least two points. That was plus 340 at Barstool Sportsbook. Uh, he did that in the first period alone, which meant that a $100 bet would have paid out $340. And he also had Connor McDavid and Claude Giroux to combine for two plus goals at plus 240 from DraftKings Sportsbook, which would have paid out $240 on a $100 bet. That also happened in the first period. So Anthony was like an idiot savant, right? 
And so he goes into our Slack channel and he starts touting, you know, what a great time or like what a great preview it was. And I'm sitting there like, all right, we need to see because Anthony's final pick was the Flyers win 5-3. Now, if you go to pretty much any sports book, if you go on crossingbroad.com and you look in the sports betting sections, you can learn more about all the different promos and everything. If you read the if you read the um, the betting previews, you can also see all the different promos that are being offered. A lot of these sports books do actually offer an exact score prop. Now we don't usually include those odds into the um, uh, into the final prediction, but I have to assume that that probably would have been like a plus seven hundred, plus eight hundred, which would have been insane for somebody to cash in on. But like Anthony nailed the five three final, which kind of like put the bow on it. And if I were Anthony, I would have retired after that. Like, I don't think there's going to be a time that he's going to nail four for four like that, <laughs> like he did. And the fact that you hit all three of the player props in the first period, yeah. and they weren't like, this wasn't something like Anthony goes, Sean Couturier to record a point. Like, no, these were things that, I mean, it's crazy. It's absolute yeah. insanity. And there you were and you did it. And I'm proud of you. And uh, you have a really great editor for those things. So, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Thanks, Russ. Appreciate yeah. it. No, but I mean, I, 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 look, and, and I'm not going to be right all the time. Um, not to not to stay on the on the gambling thing, but because I want to lead into the Vancouver game um, on on uh, Thursday night. But, um, uh, you know, you, you, I'm not going to get them all right. Obviously, I mean, I, I was not correct last night uh, with the Canucks game. But what I try to do in those picks is I try to give you um value bets so that mm-hmm. if you're betting um you're, you're you're you know i'll sometimes i'll give you you know something that's a favorite or something that's a minus bet because i, I really like it but for the most part i'm going to give you something that's going to be a plus so that way even if you lose half of them and win half of them if you go 50 if i'm 50 50 on my picks you're going to come out ahead so that's yeah. that's kind of the, the premise behind it so that so i am um and i didn't i didn't update my numbers um from last night yet uh, to be fair um, but going into Thursday night, um, I was 19 and 17. This includes the Pittsburgh bets as well. 19 and 17, um, and plus 1527 for the year. So if you're betting, if you're betting with me, uh, with my picks, you'd be two, two more wins than losses, but you'd be up $1,500 on a hundred dollar bet. So, um, so yeah, so I, I, I think you should, uh, you should follow Aunt along. San Phony. Aunt San Phony. <laughs> insane yeah insane so. stuff um all right well, where do we go from there pal i mean well the let's Canucks talk game, about so... well, here, here hold on wait wait before we get to the Canucks, i i want to want to touch on this really quick the the hot take that i had had holstered prior to the season that i didn't end up going with was that cam atkinson would finish with 40 goals mm-hmm. and i know that it's early and i know that it's um not something that is achieved by that many players um, but there have been a lot of people, especially as of late, that have kind of gone back and looked at the Cam Atkinson, Jake Voracek trade. And there are people who, I guess, feel like Voracek is being slandered because people are so effusive in their praise of Atkinson. From, from where I stand, and I am standing right now at this desk, um, to me, the, the diametric change or the difference between these two players has been on full display early in the season. And I'm not even talking about looking what Voracek has done with the blue or with, um, with Columbus. Atkinson is giving you a guy who's a, who has a shoot first mentality, 
who also is crafty enough to set up his teammates, but is somebody who's not afraid to pull the trigger from angles that we don't typically see from Flyers forwards. And what it seems to have done is unlock, really, in a lot of ways, it's unlocked offensive potential with this second line that hasn't really existed in past years. You certainly lost a point contributor in Jake Voracek, and there's nobody who's going to, I think, go out of their way to to try to put down his accomplishments with the with the organization we talked about before, where he stands in terms of the franchise's all time leaders um, in points and assists. But it it feels like what Atkinson has brought to the table is a new dynamic and is an added dimension offensively that this team hasn't had, and it it kind of helps you know, with, with bringing Derek Broussard up to the 2C, who was on last week's episode. If you didn't listen to it, make sure you go back and listen or find it over on uh, the Crossing Broad YouTube channel. You can find the, the interview there. But Atkinson's ability to find the back of the net and to be that dynamic scorer has kind of taken a lot of pressure, I think, off of the other wing, Joel Farabee, to kind of operate in space and to not have, um, you know, defensemen really queuing in on, on him or focusing in on him the same way. And it kind of, in a sense, masks you know, what, what should be theoretically an issue with Derek Broussard as a 2C, not a guy that we expected to be there. Atkinson just seems to open up everything for his line. Is that what you see? And, and are you surprised by the success that he's had at this rate to start the season? Well, yeah, taking that last part for, first, excuse me. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't think that Kim Atkinson would score six goals in six games. I mean, that's... That's definitely, I don't, I don't think anybody did, right? So, I mean, I think that that's got to be a little bit of a surprise. Um, but going back to how you started this whole thing, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, Kevin Kincaid, um, you know, who does most of the uh, writing at, at Crossing Broad, um, wanted to put a, up a little post yesterday, uh, I, I guess this a Thursday morning, uh, following the Edmonton game, um, uh, about, Chuck Fletcher's offseason moves, and and he was trying to compare the Atkinson trade to for Voracek uh, to a Sixers trade where um, uh, they acquired um, Seth Curry for uh, who did they give up in that deal? Um, Josh Richardson. Josh Richardson. Josh Richardson. Yeah, where you know it's a real slam dunk one way. I mean Curry's been great. Richardson's not been good at all. Um, so, so he was trying to make that comparison and, you know, he showed that here's Atkinson with six goals and an assist through five games and Jake Voracek hasn't scored, but he has five assists through, uh, through six games for Columbus. And I wanted to point out, I said, listen, I mean, you know, if you look at that, if you, if you look at five assists through six games, I mean, that really kind of pans out to, um, you know, if Voracek gets his usual 15 to 18 goals, that's probably a 75-point season, which is not bad, right? I mean, if Jake Voracek gets 75 points for the for the Columbus Blue Jackets, that's going to be a good season. The, the difference yeah. here is that the Flyers were giving up something that they had enough of, which was playmakers, in exchange for something they had they did not have, which was a, a guy who is not afraid to shoot the puck a lot. Um, yeah. with volume and, and score goals. And that's what Atkinson is. So that's can why the you, can Flyers... Can you say that one more time? What was that? What was that that you just said? Who's not afraid to sh- shoot the puck and a lot? Who's not afraid to shoot the puck. Can we can we take a moment here? Because I caught heat this past week. I made the joke. I put out a joke tweet. God forbid we, you know, joke about sports on Twitter. And it was a picture of Jake Voracek and a picture of Ben Simmons with the shaking hand emoji and being <laughs> afraid to shoot for Philadelphia. And all of a sudden it was like, 
you know, that's really, you're an asshole for saying that. I can't believe you would say that. Jake Borchek gave everything he had to this organization and, and Ben Simmons is a fraud who doesn't want to show. And it's like, can we, I know people aren't good with the internet all the time, right? But the joke was afraid to shoot the puck, afraid to shoot the ball, not how dedicated a guy was to the city or to the team. And somebody went out of their way to, to like really try to go at me, which was not a good, I mean, just not a good look, not a good life choice. But they pulled up the stats on Cam Atkinson and Jake Borachek's shooting numbers from the last 10 years. And, you know, really were snarky about it. And then I just pointed out the fact that like Atkinson's first couple of years in the league weren't full seasons. He had played a hundred fewer games in the regular season than Borachek had. So no wonder Borachek has more shots, you dolt. Anyway. I'm glad that, you know, you at least said it too. So now people can go and shoot some vitriol your way. Borchek's <laughs> not a shooter. It's fine. Well, no, it's not that he's not. I should. It's not that he's not a shooter. It's more that he's not a scorer. Let's put it that he's way. He's a pass first guy. Yeah, pr- pretty much a pass first guy. I mean, his career high in goals is 23. You know, I mean, yeah. that's his career high. I mean, he he was pretty consistent. I mean, you look, look back at his career and you, you see, I mean, it goes 16, 14, 18, 22, 23, 22, 11. That was a short, that was a bad season. 20, 20, 20. And then the last two seasons were shortened seasons, right? Because of 12 and 69 and 9 and 53. So, I mean, but I mean, so that's, that, that, he's a consistent 20 goal scorer, but that's really all he is, is a 20 goal scorer. Yeah. Okay. So if he puts up 75 points in a season, 20 goals and, and 55 assists, that's good. That's a good season. That's Jake Voracek. That's what he does. But the problem and the, was, and, and for Columbus, that might be fine. That might be what they're looking for, right? Right. But that's right. But not what, what the, this team, the needed. Flyers, the the problem the Flyers had is that you had him, and then you have a Giroux who pretty much does the same thing, although he's kind of doing it the other way around the the start this season, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But um, but uh, yeah, you, you had similar players doing the same thing. And and I, I think that that's kind of why the power play kind of sl- started to slack off after a while is because they were both looking to make plays and not looking to shoot the puck. Now you bring in a guy like Atkinson. And it's like, yeah, give me the puck. I'll, sh- I'll shoot. I don't care. I'll just throw pucks at the net. And, and really when you, when you look at the fourth goal against Edmonton, his second goal of the game, not the, not the crazy one at the end of the first period, but the one that ends up being the game winner. I mean, it's just a flow flat shot that should have been saved by Koskinen. Um, it was a weak goal, but guess what? Sometimes goalies are going to let up weak goals, right? And and so you, the only way you know if they're going to let up a weak goal is if you put the puck on net, and that's what he did. He put the puck on net. So that's the, that's the difference between the two. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and predict Cam Atkinson is going to score 40. I mean, he's got a good start. You know, he's he's still on pace for 82. So he's he's got a shot to, to kind of get there. Uh, he's got a nice head start. But I mean, is he going to be is he going to get you 30? Probably. You right. At this point, he's probably going to get you 30 at least. So in just in that vein alone, he's 10 more goals than Voracek usually is. Mm-hmm. That's an improvement. That's that's an upgrade. You know, assists will you could spread out amongst other people. The goals themselves are where, you know, that's the game, obviously. I mean, it's it seems so simple to say, but that's what it is. And so, you know, that's why the deal makes sense for the Flyers. That's why it's a good trade for the Flyers, not in the sense that Jake Vorchek's not a good player, not in the sense that Jake Vorchek 
wouldn't still have put up the same kind of season that Jake Voracek usually would have put up if he stayed yeah. here, but that it, it's a change in style that makes this team a better team. That's all it is. And, and, and that's why it's a good trade. And it's, it is possible. And I know that like a lot of people don't like to talk about this, but like, it is entirely possible that you can have a, a trade that benefits both teams. And yeah. ultimately like Atkinson gives this, this team a dynamic they didn't have. And by virtue of playing, and it's funny because you kind of wonder like what Atkinson's going to look like, say like once Hayes is back, or do you, or do you keep the fab line alone? And does Kevin Hayes just kind of work his way back in on the third line? We, we don't know that that still remains to be seen, but the fact that Atkinson has been able to have this success with a what third year winger on the other side with a guy who probably in, in a contending team would be like a, maybe a three C definitely not a two C but they were kind of tapping into the chemistry that they had built in Columbus as per Derek Broussard last week on snow, the goalie, the only players podcast. Um, like there, there is something to be said for his ability to raise the level of his game with two guys that are far from, let's say like the, the top end or most experienced players that this team has to offer. If Atkinson were doing this on a line with like, say Claude Giroux and Sean Couturier, you would say, okay, this makes sense because he's being put in an advantageous position. This really was kind of a, a mixed bag, right? Like you didn't really know what this line was going to be. And you certainly could have, could not have predicted that they would have the success that they've had this far, thus far uh, to this point in the season. But I think it kind of speaks to like, man, this is a, a golden opportunity, an absolutely golden opportunity um, for Atkinson to continue to kind of push the limits of, of what he's capable of. And again, it, it frees up Joel Farabee and to some extent like Travis Konechny to not have to be the only goal scorers on the team. And it frees them up to kind of make plays and for them to not be afraid uh, or, or not feel the inherent pressure of being the only real scoring options on the team. You look at the play that Konechny had setting up uh, Couturier against Vancouver. That's a play where a Travis Konechny who's in his own head doesn't attempt that pass because he doesn't want to turn the puck over going from side to side across the ice with a defense, with a, a defenseman in, in between the play. Right. But he makes that play because he's more confident because he isn't holding the weight of the world on his shoulders. And he, he slides the, I mean, well, kind of lofted it uh, above the stick across the ice to Couturier who has an incredibly confident finish far post top shelf. This is all to say Atkinson's ability to score goals and to open things up on the second line is having a cascading effect up and down the lineup. And that's mm -hmm. something that I don't think even the most positive outlook could have forecast for this team. Yeah. And I'll tell you, you know, the third line hasn't scored at even strength yet. I don't think it, it has. I mean, I know JVR got his first goal last night. Has Lawton have a goal? He might have one. I forget if Lawton has one, but even still, even if he, even if he does, um, the the third line has played like I thought they were their the best line in the game last night, and that's even with Giroux and Couturier putting up two points apiece um, in, in the game against Vancouver. I, I thought that the third line was really strong. I thought, thought uh, Lawton Lindblom especially. I thought Oscar Lindblom had a really good game last night, um, and JVR and, and and I think that that line has played well as a checking line you know what I'm saying like yeah you'd like for them to score a little bit more maybe um but I think that that was you know they probably had their best game together against the Canucks um otherwise 
I, I thought that the game against Vancouver was just okay. Um, it was a great yeah. first period. They, they again, it's it's amazing. I wrote this today. I said it's, it's getting hard, it's getting weird to type that the Flyers continue to have good starts because for how many years have they not had good starts, right? Um, but this season they've had a good first period in in every game, really. Even the one game that they were down, which was Florida, wasn't a was not a bad first period by any stretch of imagination. Um, but after that. They got a little undisciplined. They took a bunch of penalties. Vancouver had five power plays. Um, they were, the Canucks were really taking it to the Flyers, and and Martin Jones was the difference. Yep. And, and I know that who saw that you know, coming, buddy. No, we've been critical of of that signing, and and I wrote about that today. And it's like, listen, I, I'm I'll be I'll be glad to be wrong about Martin mm-hmm. Jones, um, but the fact is, is he's given them two good starts. So far, first one was I, I compared it to a starting. I compared it to starting pitching, and I, I said that you know when you make thirty-seven saves against the Bruins but allow three goals, that's one of those games where it's like you're a starting pitcher who kind of kept your team in it, right? Give them a chance to win, mm-hmm. and that was like I, I compared that to Kyle Kendrick. I said that's what that it was. A, Martin Jones's start against the Bruins was like a Kyle Kendrick start for the Phillies, like a fourteen it, and fourteen sort of season with a. <laughs> 3.89 or 4.2. Something right. Yeah, ERA. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Um, but that last night, the Flyers needed more than Kyle Kendrick. They needed Cole Hamels. And then it's funny because um, as soon as as soon as I'm thinking that, AV comes out in the quote and, and says he was an all-star tonight. And I was like, yeah, there you go. I mean, that's, that's the kind of performance that they needed because they were only getting those two goals in the first period. It seemed like they lost their legs a little bit. I mean, a lot of travel, right? Traveling out West, time change, playing back-to-back nights in two separate cities, coming off of the game against Edmonton where they just emptied the tank. So, uh, you know, you needed Martin Jones to have that kind of game. And he was special. He was special in the game against the Canucks. Made a lot of big saves. Um, and, and, you know, that's his game. That You know, you give the two points to Martin Jones. They gave him the starter jacket after the game, which is now their new yep. thing, right? Um, which we could talk about. Did you ever have one of those, those flyer starter jackets? I did not. And I, I'm not saying that I would give an arm and a leg to get one, but they're, they're pretty nice. Do you have I ha- one? I had one. I did have one. I think that, I think, I, I, I got to check with my mom. I think that somewhere in the back of her closet, it might still exist. What size was it in? Probably a large or at mind. the time. I mean, I was so starter jackets were came out in the late eighties. Right. So I was like 14, mm-hmm. 15 years old. Um, I, I was probably a large at that point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I was just trying to angle for it. So now I'm, I'm not going to <laughs> angle for it. Yeah. Um, you got to shoot your shot, right? Just like yeah. Dan Atkinson. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, it's funny because, you know, I was last time I was talking to my mother, she was talking about going, she wants to go to the, um, to the alumni game. And she's like, I want to wear my Rick Tockett Jersey. I'm like, mom, you don't have a Rick Tockett Jersey. She says, yes, I do. (laughs) She says, I said, no, no, you don't. She says, I'm going to go get it. And so she goes upstairs and gets it. And it was my sister's. I, I said, that's, that's Danielle's. And she goes, no, it's not. I said, yeah, yes, it is. And it's so funny. You look at it and there's an autograph that we got it signed. I remember getting it signed at one of the Flyers carnivals and it's, he signed it to Danielle on really? the number. On the, and I said it to her and she's like, she's like, 
Well, it's mine now. <laughs> <laughs> Little did you know, your mom's name has been Danielle the whole time. Yeah, so. that's right. That's right. So last second change. Yeah. But anyway, um, no, Martin Jones was great, man. I mean, that's, and that's what you need. I mean, that's what you need. If he could give you one game a week like that, like he played yeah. last night, that will do wonders for the Flyers this season. So there are a couple of things that I think are probably worth noting, right? Like we, we've talked about two things, I think, pretty consistently here. One is, in general, the way that Carter Hart plays and the fact that Carter Hart has, has done a better job of bouncing back when he allows goals. Like some of what you saw, I think, against the Oilers, a couple of those goals were the kind that would like sort of break him mentally last year where it kind of felt like when it rains, it pours. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're getting Brian Elliott ready to come into the game. He's done a good job of bouncing back. I think again, and we talk about this a lot, but like the defensive core in front of him is exponentially better than it was last year. And that even includes the fact that, you know, Ryan Ellis has missed time to start this season. And when he's in there, he's been rock solid next to Ivan Provorov. I still think that they have a little bit of chemistry that they need to build up. Uh, and an understanding that they need to build up between the two of them. But, you know, he brings a lot. Ristolainen has certainly had his moments of, um, I wouldn't say excellence, but he's had moments where his ability to, to body a guy off the puck has set up a goal. We saw it happen against the Oilers. Um, he's also had some quasi boneheaded moments that, you know, were typically reserved for like the Shane Gosses Bears of the world where he tries to pass it side to side and it goes right to the stick of an opposing player and sets up a dangerous chance. Uh, I, I do think, and this is kind of where we come back to something that we had talked preseason. The, while the preseason can be problematic in terms of setting your expectations for a team and, and what they could be or what a, an individual player can be. We saw that in the case of Martin Jones, he looked like garbage in the preseason He's looked solid so far. He's got a 2.01 goals against. He's got a 941 save percentage in two games, both of which are wins. Um, he, I, I think as long as we keep the sample size limited and Carter Hart is able to continue to, to play confidently and, and give the team a, a chance to win every game, they'll be fine. You think about like the preseason is what it is. And you think about the way that, that chemistry does or does not show up in the preseason. And, and you, you can kind of build narratives for yourself about what, a, what kind of issues that might befall this team. And I was on record as saying that I thought that by December, if this is how Martin Jones was going to play, they were going to be in the market for a backup goalie. So far, so good. And really, that's all you can hope for. This is all you can, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, if you want this team to be successful, you want Martin Jones to have success. It's also important to note, because this is inevitably going to happen, as people who are casual sports fans or casual hockey fans or people who are looking for things to, to talk about because the Eagles are kind of down and the Sixers are what they are without Ben Simmons and you know people get sick of talking about it, there are people who are going to start talking about this Flyers team, especially if they keep up their winning ways the way that they have. And it's really important to remember that the inevitable moment will come where Carter Hart has a bad game and some dope is going to look at Martin Jones's numbers and say, is there a goalie controversy? There's not a goalie controversy. We all know that. Anybody who watches the sport or who has watched this team knows there's not a goalie controversy. Um, but it, it will inevitably happen. And when it does, we are urging listeners here of Snow the Goalie to make sure that uh, you put people back in their place when that happens. And you refer to, that, to these people as the casuals and we welcome them 
to uh, partake in this adventure with us as the Flyers look solid. But, um, you know, just get ready because it's going to happen. I think it's pretty inevitable, is it not? Yeah, I'm sure it will at some point. Um, The thing for me is, and we've had this conversation in years past on this podcast, um, it's just weird in hockey how this works because of the loser point in the standings. You know, you can lose games and still gain ground in the standings. Yep. Um, that it's far more important to win, you know, not get behind early in the season because it's harder to play catch up. You can have a great second half of the season, but you need some help to catch up if you're behind. Yep. Whereas if you get ahead early, and then you go through, you know, your your um, downturn later in the year. It's easier to survive that than it is the other way around. So I look at this and say, you know, AV always likes to use a term, putting money in the bank, right? Um, I like I like to call it cachet. Um, I, I look yeah. at it and say that that was the winning- word I was trying to think of yesterday. Oh my cachet? god, I I could yes. <laughs> oh, well, I couldn't think of it. Okay, thank you. Sorry. You're we were doing dumb drafts, uh, and I, I kept trying to think of, of the word for it. Cache. Yeah, there you go. Wow. Um, Today's word of the day, cache. Cache. Not um, sachet. We're not doing dancing. Anthony's not going to get up and start going side to side. Hey, it would be fun. Are there any sachets in the uh, show that you're, uh, that you're directing? Yo, there there's, well, there's a lot of sachets, and there's a lot of tap dancing. How about that? Are you going to be tap dancing? I'm not in it. I'm the director. Listen, directors can nope. be in. They could, and and I am the fill-in if somebody has to be, you know, if one of the guys has to go out for like COVID Quentin or Tarantino whatever. Or whatever right? Yeah, I'm kind of the fill-in guy. Um, All right, sorry, go ahead. But anyway, no, no, no. Um, no, but it, it, they're building that, that money in the bank, that cachet mm-hmm. now. You get off to a really good start, you know, and I know fans are going to sit there and, and they're going to harken back to – you know the way it used to be with the flyers back in the olden days and when i say the olden days i'm talking you know the 90s uh <laughs> where yep. they would get off to great starts up till christmas and be the best team and then they would inevitably have that post-holiday swoon you know and I'm like oh see here they go they're gonna break your heart again um mm-hmm. and i you can't I, I always say with any sport really that you can't let that that eventual losing streak or skid or whatever get you down mm-hmm. unless it's something that's repeatedly happening within a season and then of course you can complain all you want last season was a perfect example it was well deserved complaining last year but i mean if you're if you get off to a great start and then all of a sudden you lose six out of nine you know and you're and you're you're you know three four and two and it's or three five and one and it's like i'll see now here we go here's the swoon and it's gonna they're gonna break your heart it's part of the ride, man. It's part of what goes on. These are long seasons. You can't expect a team to to get points in five out of six games all season long. It just doesn't happen. So, you know, just ride with it a little bit. But it's good to have this start. And I'll tell you what, I mean, you look at look at what they've look at what they've done. You, you had you know, just recently, okay, they beat the Bruins, right? Yep. Who are a team that they could not beat last year who yep. handled the Flyers really, really well a year ago, beat them pretty, beat them good. Six to three was the final score. Then they play Florida, who was an undefeated team, still undefeated, seven and zero. Florida Panthers, even without a coach now. Um, 
they play them, played a pretty good game against them. And even though they lose the game, it's one of those games that could have gone the Flyers' way. I mean, it was it was a it was a tie game, third period, and a turnover on a on a Flyers power play leads to a shorthanded goal by Florida. That that's the difference in the game, right? So I mean, really, that, that game could have gone the other way. Um, then you uh, come out of that, and you get um, uh, Edmonton, who was undefeated at home, and you beat them. You beat Vancouver at home the next night when you know you don't have the legs. You don't have, and now you're going to get Calgary, who's won five in a row, all five on the road, no less. They were they went five and zero oh on a road trip, um, yep. and so they're feeling pretty good. And then next week you got Pittsburgh and Washington, and you know the week after that you you get um, Dallas um, and uh, Carolina, who's also unbeaten at this point. So like you, yep. there's this is this is not like they're they're beating up on bad teams. The Flyers are playing good teams, and um, that's a major distinction to make yes. too, because it's not a fool's gold situation. Like right, I know that you don't like to venture into slack all that much, but like last year when the Sixers were were as successful as they were en route to the the number one seed in the conference investor Mike was always the one who was saying, this is fool's gold. Like you have to look at the, the totality of these wins. And it's like, you're, you're going up against a team that's missing two of their top stars for rest or due to injury. Every time that you're playing one of the top teams, they, you know, they mostly beat up on, on bad teams. They had some signature wins, but there weren't that many. You look at what this team has done so far, this flyers team, these aren't easy wins. And I think maybe the most impressive thing. So like if, if you're trying to convince somebody who may have fallen out of love with the Flyers, right? I think if, if nothing else, here's one thing that you can kind of sell them on. This team not only plays differently and, and looks different compared to, let's say, like the last few seasons, but this team is able to adapt their style. They're, they win in different ways. It's not the same equation uh, to, to you know, getting the winning answer, Right. And so adaptability in this league is critical. You, you have to do one of two things. You either by sheer force of will uh, implement your system and your style and make the other team adjust, or you still try to do that, but if and when different parts of your plan are thwarted, you adjust accordingly. And that's one thing that I think Vino took heat for in their last postseason run was an inability to, to adjust in-game. It hasn't been an issue so far. And for a coaching staff that had been much maligned by a lot of the fan base last season for their inability to, to adjust in game, things are going well right now. It doesn't mean things are going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that this team isn't going to hit a, a losing streak or hit the skids from time to time. But what we've seen so far has to give people hope that this team is going to be, you know, in contention somewhere in maybe the higher end of the Metropolitan Division than we might have thought. And we did talk about this prior to the season. When you look at what the Met is and what we expected the Met to be, we figured that Carolina would be one of the top teams. I think we both said that we thought the Islanders would either be one or two. And I think Bundy did as well. And right now the Islanders no, I, I are- was, I was a little lower. You were skeptic on, you were on the-, you I, had, the, I, had the skeptic, I had the, right? I had the was, Rangers and I had the Rangers and the Flyers two, three. I had the Islanders okay. battling Washington for four. Okay. I, I still think but, they're a playoff team. I think that they're just a wild card team this year. And looking at what this team, and, and remember, I was at least pretty bullish about the Penguins being able to contend, even though a lot of people had kind of gone out on them. The Blue Jackets are actually in a better position than I think anybody kind of thought they would be at this point. The Devils are about where you would expect them to be. The Islanders are behind. 
right now is a good time if you're the Flyers to build some kind of lead over these other teams that we expect you to be in a battle with coming down the end of the season, coming down the stretch, fighting for a playoffs, you know, for a playoff spot. And as of right now, they've done a good job of going up against the teams that they've been lined up against. They're not playing down to competition. In fact, in a lot of cases, they're playing up to the level of some of their, you know, their opponents. There, there are plenty of reasons to believe that this team can actually do something. And I, I know that people, you know, like to be cynical and skeptical. And, you know, you and I have been accused of that from time to time in the past. But like, we're both sitting here, I think, looking at this team very positively because they've done enough on the ice right now that is indicative of what a good winning team does that we have to give them the credit they deserve. They've done a very good job early in the season. Well, they've shown consistency, right? I mean, that, that's, yes. that's, I think, the most important thing when you look at it. It's, it's not like, okay, they had a good game and then they had a bad game and then they had a good game and they had two bad games. And then, you know, oh, then they had another good one again. They've been consistent in every game. And even, you know, you look at the two games that they lost, the shootout to Vancouver and the opener and the game against Florida, like we pointed out yep. already, both could have gone the other way. I mean, the Flyers could well be 6-0 and at this point, just like the, yep. even though they're 4-1-1. 6-1-0, 6-3-2, 0 9 No, but they... When we come back. That, Mike Mazzanelli here on 97.5. <laughs> but that's why that they... What I'm trying to say is, is that they've played the same game. Mm-hmm against every opponent they've played with consistency and the other thing is and and this is this is why you know we, everybody was like why is that vino changing the lineup so much last year he was looking for chemistry looking for, for fine guys to work what's he changed this year not a thing no not a thing. the only change has been when you know either ristolainen or uh, ellis had to miss games in the lineup um they had him juggle the defensive pairs a little bit and the fourth line has had you know a different yeah. couple different wingers on it um on either side, they took all Bay Kubel out against Vancouver to put Patrick Brown in um, with Zach. We can have that. I think by that, the way, that might be worth a conversation. Is is Abi Kubel? But continue. Yeah, no, I, I I think it is worth a conversation. But I mean, but that's it. Other than that, the top three lines have stayed the same. Um, the defense pairs have pretty much stayed the same, and the goalie rotation is what it should be at this point. And yep. and it's and that's why they're being successful because they're playing with consistency. There's no reason to change. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, right. I mean, it's old yeah. adage, but I mean, that's what it is. And that's the way the team's playing. So, uh, but yeah. yes, there are a couple of things that we should talk about. We should talk about Abe Kubel. We should talk about Claude Giroux, um, yeah. the start that he's off to. And, uh, and I think we should also probably for a minute or two, dive into what's happened uh, out in Chicago and, and the fallout of that as well. So uh, however you want to take it, Russ, I'm happy to go. Well, let's get the Chicago thing. Uh, I guess like, let's, do we want to do that now? What else did you say? Well, Giroux. Yeah. Let's, let's keep it positive. And then if people don't want to don't yeah, yeah. listen to the the Chicago stuff, they, they don't. Have yeah, to. that's fine. Um, not to bury it. It's just that, you know, we're being realistic here. Some people are, are going to be upset with the, yeah. you know, the content and, and you want to be you know respectful of that. Giroux to this point uh, looks like a re-energized player, which is bad. I'm gonna tell you why it's bad. Because this team and this player um, had the opportunity to work out a contract in the offseason, and they didn't. And whether it's Giroux betting on himself or the team, you know, exercising some some caution, which honestly I think was the way to go. If Giroux keeps up this pace and continues to produce like he is, it's going to put you in a bad position if you're the team, because I think, I believe this organization was hopeful 
that if he kept up like last season's production, they'd be able to get him at a reduced cost below the 8.25 million he makes. If he continues the near point per game uh, pace that he's on, it, it's going to be hard to say take 6 million, right? And, and I think in the, if you're looking at the short term of the money that this team has tied up in specific players, that could cause problems as early as next season. Um, if you have to give this guy high sevens, low eights, even on a short-term deal, but I would assume he's going to want at least three years. Um, I don't know how you can justify that number, even at a short term on the hope that he's able to replicate this. Now it, it still remains to be seen, right? They're, they're probably not going to work out a contract to the end of the year as such, like, maybe he comes back down to earth a little bit and maybe he puts up a 60 point season and you reassess and you say, you know, seven, two, five, seven, five, slight reduction. If he falls off and he only puts up 45 points, then, you know, maybe financially you're in a better spot. But um, do you think this complicates things for the team? Like let's, let's just start there. Does his strong play make a mess of potentially the cap situation this team will find itself in next year? It makes a mess, but it certainly makes it challenging. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and don't forget. I mean, I you know, I was, uh, I've been bullish on Giroux. I think that I said at the beginning of the year, I, I'll stick by it. I think he's going to have a very, very good season, and I think it's going to be that point per game kind of season. Um, and and then I think it's going to be a challenge at that point. And and uh, will the Flyers be able to get him to take a little bit of a hometown discount to stay? And I think a lot of that will depend on how they do. Yeah. I think a lot of I think a lot of it really will di- be dictated by where this team finishes the year, and I don't mean regular season. I mean, you know, I think we're we're pretty confident that this is a this is a playoff caliber team, um, even through just uh, six games. But I think that this is a playoff caliber team, and wherever they fit into that that playoff is is fine. But then they, they have to make a little bit of a run. I mean, you know, winning one round and then getting bounced in the second round probably doesn't cut it enough you know what i'm saying that doesn't cut the mustard right but if they get to the conference finals or get or further um then i think that Giroux is is willing to take that hometown discount to finish his career here but if it's if he has a great season and then they're an early out again well then maybe Giroux decides you know what it's just not going to happen for me here let me try to go somewhere else so I think that that it really could be an impact. I mean, it, we should enjoy the season that he's having because he's been mm-hmm. he's been sensational so far. He, he really has. Um, but at the same time, yeah, that needs to be in the back of your mind a little bit about where a great season by Giroux takes the team and the player uh, come next spring. All right, let's go to the next thing that you wanted Knack. to talk about. Yeah, Nikki, so Nick. The next thing. Huh? Yeah. So, so Avi Kubel is an interesting guy, right? Because this, I, I think that a lot of the way that this organization views him goes back to I mean, a few years ago when we had Ron Hextall on the show and we were talking about, you know, the, the overhaul the roster was going to need or what guys coming out of camp, you know, had a, a legitimate shot of making the team. And only, I think he only mentioned two guys by name. One was Alex Lyon. And then the other was Nick Abi Kubel. And he talked about, you know, believing that a guy like that could come in and, and be a contributor on the PK, uh, even at his age and his experience level. And 
I think you and I have both been holding out hope for the kid that he was going to be able to put it all together and that with maturity and, and with, you know, more reps, more games that some of the boneheaded penalties that he had taken earlier in his career would kind of go by the wayside and it hasn't happened. And so knowing the fact that this team is going to be getting back Kevin Hayes at some point, and that's going to cause inherent roster juggling and knowing that Brown is going to be uh, integrated into the lineup, it kind of creates a situation where Nick Abikubel might not have a role here. And it's kind of shocking in a sense because they've given him almost every opportunity to be successful and he is a pest and he is a guy who could bring something to an NHL team, but the penalties that he takes and the frequency with which he takes those penalties almost makes it, it almost negates everything positive that he brings to the lineup. Does it not? Yeah. I mean, I, I thought last night was telling um, that, Brown finally gets an opportunity to get in the lineup, and rather than replace McEwen, he replaces Aubrey Kubel. Now, the one thing I can sit there and say is when the Flyers uh, plucked McEwen off of waivers, they took him from the Canucks. So maybe it was saying it was just that, you know, hey, go out and get to your old team and, and uh, see what you can do. And then, of course, McEwen gets into a fight with Luke Shen, um, yep. bloodies him up a little bit, which was pretty, pretty good. It was a pretty good fight, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's it. And then maybe that next game McEwen sits and Albe Kubel's back in with Brown and, and Thompson, but you're right. Once Kevin Hayes returns, if there's no other injuries, then what do you do? Is, is, is Brown on the, is Brown the guy that goes down or is Albe Kubel the guy that, that, that sits? And I think that they want to see Brown play. You know, Patrick Brown played a little bit for the Knights in the playoffs last year for Vegas yep. and, and looked pretty good uh, on the shifts that he played uh, was a real, you know, fourth line guy, energy guy going in there, but, you know, going in and getting the puck and on the wall and battling and um, winning some battles. I mean, that's, that's the kind of player you want on that fourth line. Right. So yep. I, I think that they, they're going to give Brown every opportunity to be that. Um, and with that being said, you know, when Hayes comes back, you're probably shifting Scott Lawton back down to the fourth line well, there's no room for Nick Albe Kubel at that point, right? Yep. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that, you know, him coming out of the lineup was is telling. I think that they, they might be at the point where it's like, yeah, you know, we gave you as much of a shot as we could, and you're still doing the same things that you were doing, and you, you may not end up making it here. You might have to go somewhere else to to make your bones in this league. And, and I, think he's, yep. I think there's an NHL player there. I do think that there's – I do too something there for him, you know, there's a role for him, but yeah, he just, he just can't stop with his chronic penalties and that's hurting the team. And they, they gotta, they, they can't keep trotting that out there and, and having it potentially cost them, you know, on the ice uh, and maybe even cost them a game. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that as is the case with any youngish player, you need to see them every time they make a mistake, the, the coaching point, is it's okay to make a mistake, but don't ever make the same mistake twice. And what we're seeing is what's becoming kind of a systemic issue with his play. He's not learning from his mistakes. Now, in fairness, like there are moments where vets do the same thing, right? Like um, Nate Thompson took a really stupid penalty a couple games ago, three games ago, I think it was three games ago, where it's at a, a point in time in the game where you can't take a bad penalty and he did. So it's not like, veteran players don't make bad plays or, or take stupid penalties. I think maybe more than anything, 
this kind of comes back to like maybe one of the fears that fans have going into the season, which is you've got this experienced coaching staff and this even goes back to last year too, right? You got this experienced coaching staff and they're, they're going to favor playing vets because they believe they can rely on those veteran players to, to play consistently and to, you know, avoid like boneheaded moments. Right. But I think what we're looking at here is a team that has done a decent job on the waiver wire of picking up bets. You've got one of your highest paid players set to come back in the next few weeks. And if that means that Nick Abe Kubel is scratched, but he's still with the team, he becomes your 13th forward or whatever. He's up in the press box. That's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, if nothing else, he's not an AHL player. So sending him down to the phantoms, I don't think really does a whole lot. And he's not a top six forward kind of guy. So it's not like missing out on those game reps with the AHL is going to be a problem. Like it might've been for like a Morgan Frost. Maybe you hope that by jostling him around a little bit and moving him in and out of the lineup, he's going to be able to kind of something will click and that maybe there is going to be a fundamental shift in the way that he approaches the game and, and doesn't make these same mistakes again and again. But realistically, if that is the biggest problem right now, fingers crossed, knock on wood, if that's the biggest problem this team has right now is figuring out where a bottom six forward fits in once one of your highest paid players comes back, that's not a bad thing for this team. Because if we had gone preseason and talked about this team, starting with this record, with these results, chances are, you know, it would have to, you, you would only be talking about a small issue. And, and right now this team is doing well, and this is pretty low on the priority list. Yeah. I mean, it really, I mean, this is, I mean, this is really the only negative I think so far. I yeah. mean, if we're looking at players and say who's, who's played well and who hasn't played well, I think that the whole team has played well with the exception of, of Nick Obe Kubel. I mean, I think that's the yeah. only guy that I could sit there and say, yeah, probably not. I mean, you know, you, you pointed out Thompson's mistake against Florida, but then he comes, he bounces right back the next game and scores a goal against Edmonton. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that's an important goal. And yes, Obe Kubel was involved in that made a nice play. Actually. Um, I, yeah. I honestly still think Obe Kubel deserved the goal, not Thompson, <laughs> but <laughs> that's neither here nor there, but, uh, um, but no, no. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, so that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, a veteran guy figures it out. Yeah, okay, made a mistake. I'm going to come back and make up for it next time out. And Nick Albeckabel has never really done that, and and that's that. I think that that's the the one the one negative. Other than that, I think that the team's played overall about as good as we can expect them to play through six games. So let's talk about a situation that did not play out well um, in the moment and uh, has played out in an interesting way since and that of course is what happened um when the the investigation into the chicago blackhawks uh was completed and the fallout that has happened since so and i i guess the way that i kind of want to approach this is because you're the vet you're the veteran among the two of us and uh you know younger players have the ability to make mistakes along the way and i don't want to get anything wrong here you've read the entire report um, want to want to touch on this, and, and it's obviously a sensitive subject. So if if the um, the discussion around the Blackhawks and the investigation itself are something that are upsetting to you or could trigger some kind of you know trauma, like obviously feel free to skip the the rest of the show. I think this is probably going to be our last topic for the episode, so we don't want to put anybody in an uncomfortable position as we go over this kind of stuff. Um, like we mentioned off the top of the show, Bundy should be back next week. Uh, people can look forward to that and we'll be getting press row show going back up 
uh, again. So make sure that you tune into that. Uh, with that said, like, let's get into this a bit. And the fallout that has has come since, I, I want to start with optics, because optics, I think, are a, a critical component of this. Um, and we'll obviously get into what the, the accusations were and, and, and the revealing of the identity and everything. But the, the most recent bit of news to come out of this is that Joel Quenville is no longer the coach of the Florida Panthers. And when this investigation, when the results, the findings of the investigation were announced, uh, there were a lot of people who were asking, how does Joel Quenville keep his job? And you, you think about in the way things are, are perceived in the way that people are, you know, quote unquote, canceled on social media or in society. And it, it can often be for innocuous things that are, are blown out of proportion. But when you look at what was in this investigation and Joel Quenville's role um, and what Joel Quenville knew and what he said he knew publicly versus what was, you know, determined in, in the findings of this report, um, the fact that he was allowed to be behind the bench for Florida on, what was that, Wednesday, was a disgrace. And I, I don't understand under any circumstances how this league, knowing what was to come and knowing what was in that report, um, could have allowed him to coach the Panthers on Wednesday. And to me, this is too little too late. And there are times where you talk about, uh, you know, like a gambling investigation, like what was happening with Evander Kane or with Evander Kane with the, um, the fake COVID card and that whole thing, right? Like the guy doesn't play because they're, they're pending investigation, right? Joel Quenville had been investigated as part of this overall report. And this, this league knew whatever role they, they believe or the investigators believed he played. Can you in any way, shape or form explain why this league let this man go out and coach a game knowing that he was going to be meeting with Gary Bettman. It was, it was a serious enough um, accusation charge made against him that he had to have an in-person meeting with the commissioner of the league on Thursday, but the league still allowed him to go out and, and coach a game on Wednesday. Can you in any way rationalize that? I have a hard time rationalizing it. The only, the only thing I could even think of is that the league wanted to hear from Quenville himself, um, his direct take on this report um, to see if he was going to challenge the report, to see if he felt like he was misquoted or um, taken out of context or anything along those lines. And I think that the league was willing to give him that benefit of the doubt just in case. Do I think that, that that's reason enough to let him coach that game for Florida? I don't. Um, I think that it could could have been a, um, you know, he's he's on temporary leave. He's on paid leave until this inv league investigation is concluded. Um, but, you know, they made the mistake of, of letting him coach one more game. Um, I, I don't know, in the grand scheme of things, if that, is going to end up hurting the league. I don't think it will. I mean, I think when, when, you know, push comes to shove this, the story <laughs> is what it is. And, uh, and it's, it's a terrible story and it's a hor horrible what the Blackhawks did. And, um, yeah, I, I don't see how anybody from that Blackhawks organization who were involved at the time, uh, could ever work in the sport again after what they did. They, they knew of a, an employee 
a coach, a video coach, sexually assaulting a young player. And when we say young player, 20 years old is what Kyle Beach was at the time. He's 20 years old. Yes, he's an adult, but he's 20. Okay, we all know that there's different stages of adulthood, right? And 20 years old, you know, I have a kid who's 20 years old, and I know he wouldn't come out and say anything right away if, if he was in that situation, right? I mean, he would have a hard time talking about it. Yeah. Um, and you have a sexual assault, and you're told about it, and, you're, and, you're, and everybody knows about it, yep. and your decision is we're not going to bring it to HR, and we're not going to rectify this problem until after the Stanley Cup because we don't know if we'll ever have a chance to get back here again. And we haven't won in this city in so many years, blah, 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 blah. We have to try. We have to put the championship ahead of humanity. So they put, they put a sports championship, a, a game. They put a game ahead of humanity. And that's just, it's despicable. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. And they were all on board with it. And to sit there and to say that they, you know, some guys said, well, we didn't really know. Quenville was late to the meeting and, you know, maybe didn't have all the details at the time. I don't care. You know, you think Joel Quenville is not going to ask afterwards what was that about? He's not going to ask somebody else that was in that meeting what was that? Stan- He's not going to talk to Stan Bowman. I mean, the, the, the notion that hockey coaches are 24-7 locked in to thinking about the on-ice product it's it's BS, man. I mean, look, yeah, they just let they it fly, and let it fly. Light it with warning. The rest of it, go ahead. No, it's BS because I mean, yes, they they're they're intensely involved. They're they're sitting there and they're looking at video and they're thinking about how they get, but they do take breaks, right? They do have meetings. I can tell you they this. They do I know interact. They do interact with each other as human beings. They, yes. they do. They do happen to discuss things that are happening in and around the organization that may or may not involve their players, that may or may not involve one of their video assistants sexually assaulting a 20-year-old player. Yeah. No, they do. And, and, that's, and, and it's not just that. I mean, Russ, you're a perfect example. I, I can tell you that during the, the 2004 playoffs in Tampa, I had coffee at a, at a coffee shop with Ken Hitchcock on a, on an off day between games. Like, like he made time for a young reporter, you know, I mean, it's not like, so there's, there's a, there's one of the all time greatest coaches in hockey history. Who's, who's so focused on everything that they got to do that, you know, he's going to get, yeah, let's go grab coffee. And we're sitting at a coffee shop for 45 minutes talking. I mean, that's the kind of thing that happens so, so with that being said, you know, Joel Quenville knows what's going on and, and yeah, everybody yeah. else, Stan Bowman knew what was going on and John McDonough knew what was going on and everybody knew what was going on. And they said, ah, let's just bury it for a few weeks and let's go win a Stanley cup and then we'll deal with it. And that's just wrong, especially what made it even worse. Not only is there a sexual assault and, and it's a sexual assault is, is bad enough, Right. I mean, it just in it just awful, in general, awful. Fundamentally altered the life of of well, Kyle Beach. So fundamentally altered. Oh, hold on. Fundamentally altered his existence, his life, the trauma, yeah. the PTSD that he will live with, every relationship that he has had or that he will have going forward. All yeah. of the potential. Earn, I mean, let's let, let's not even like bring in the professional element of like 
any potential that he had of making an NHL team, of being part of an NHL roster, of, of eventually trying to reach the pinnacle of the sport that he had spent his entire life playing, right? That all goes out the window. We're talking about the personal aspect, what this guy will live with forever, the trust or the lack thereof that he will feel for players, coaches, anyone he interacts with. The girlfriend that he has right now, she is now involved in some way, shape, or form with the trauma that this man has experienced. His parents had to live with that, knowing that this had been done to their son and that the organization or that, uh, you know, a, a member of this organization who had been entrusted in some way, shape, or form with his, his health, his safety, his professional career, uh, betrayed him, let him down, fundamentally uh, uh, dropped the ball in every way, shape, or form, all because of a goddamn game. Well, here's the because, thing. Because, because of a game and because of arrogance. This is absolute 100% arrogance on the part of an organization. And, and the fundamental um, argument that they have made or that, that came out in the report that, well, you know, we, we don't want to mess up a good thing that we have going on on the ice. This team hasn't won in X number of years. This city, this fan base deserves, you know, our very best. Bull shit yeah bullshit yeah i mean and, and you are talking about something that fundamentally changes the life of a human being and instead of doing the right thing you did what was the easy thing in the moment and these men who were part of this these men who covered for um this assistant do not have a place not only in hockey not only in professional sports, they don't have a place in civilized society for covering this up and for not doing the right thing. Let's it, call it what it is. It, it's no, this is no different than the Paterno situation in, in Penn State. No, it's Quenville, not. Quenville's Paterno, right? And everybody always said, oh, way, well, yeah. you know, yeah, everybody always said, oh, well, poor Joe, you know, oh, he didn't really, you know, he wasn't really involved. He was more focused on football. He did. But the, the point is, is that you allowed it to go on. Yep. You allowed it to happen. Yep. You allow, I mean, I mean, yes, maybe you couldn't have done something to stop the event from happening, but you could have done something to the, you could have been like, no, I'm not coaching another game until you get rid of this, this asshole from our team. Yeah. Well, then, not and only then that, even further, and he, he gets, they, they, he writes they a positive on. review for him. Right. So yes. Writes up. Holy shit. He writes a positive review of, well, he always had us, you know, he had the team prepared. He did a great job with the video package. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So, okay, let's, let's just go anecdotal here. Joel Quenville, are, am I expected to believe that if this assistant had done this to your child, to your 20-year-old child, who's not of age to buy a drink at a bar, Am I to believe that Joel Quenville would say, you know what? You did what you did. I'm going to write you a positive review. Absolutely not. Right. And that's, that's where the arrogance component of this comes into play. That's where, I mean, you, you want to just talk about like, listen, this is a clusterfuck. There's no way to get around it. You, you erred in not providing a safe environment for this player. You erred in the way that you handled it in the moment. You erred in the, in the, the way that, the departure went down. And if you're Joel Quenville, whether you want to argue that you didn't really know the extent uh, to which things were done or the, the um, you know, having a full understanding of, of how an assault could, 
emotionally or mentally impact another human being. You wrote a positive review for this man after he did what he did. That is inexcusable. A hundred percent. I cannot understand what goes into somebody's thought process, writing a positive review. You don't have to write anything. In fact, the organization should have dismissed him with, I don't know, do you say with prejudice? Like you, you dismiss him, you effectively dishonorably discharge him from his duties with your team. And you make it known this person has no right, no business working, especially with young players. And by virtue of this ridiculous review Joel Quenville wrote, this assistant goes on to continue his career, which eventually leads to him working with a high school team where what happens, Ant? Well, first you you skipped one. He was at University of Miami of Ohio where he sexually assaulted two people, resigns from there, then gets a job at a high school in Michigan and allegedly sexually assaulted one of his teenage players and then ends up he ends up in prison um, for that for that sexual assault, um, and it was and he's now a registered sex offender. Yep. Um, but I mean, like you allow three by not people, inter- three by not intervening people were assaulted because yes. your organization didn't have the balls or the or the guts or the moral decency to handle this the way it needed to be handled. You didn't do it. You went machismo. You went for the honor of the game, for the honor of this organization. Bullshit. You should be ashamed. Anyone involved in this should be ashamed. The blood, the proverbial blood is on their hands. Not as much yeah. as the person who perpetrated the heinous acts, but you're, you're damn well close. And there is no yeah. place in this league. Let's have this conversation, Ant, because this has come up. Quenville is not lifetime banned from the sport. To, to my knowledge, no one involved in this, um, in this incident has been lifetime banned from the league, including Bowman. One, should there have been a lifetime ban handed out as a result of these findings? And two, is there a legitimate conversation that needs to be had about Joel Quenville, who prior to this would have been a surefire Hall of Fame coach? Do you now, because of the gravity of what happened and the fallout that that you know, one could very logically follow happened to three other people at, I'm, I'm assuming younger ages, I'm not sure about the, the college incident, but certainly with a high school student, younger people. Is there any way that anyone can justify allowing any of these men into the Hockey Hall of Fame? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I First of all, they're, they're, the ban should be lifetime. Um, I don't see how you can let them into the Hall of Fame. And, and I find it I, I find it a little bit disgusting today. Again, I think that the Blackhawks continue to trip all over themselves. And the news today is that they sent a letter to the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, Rocky Wirtz, their owner, sends the letter um, asking that Brad Aldrich's name be removed from the Stanley Cup. And Brad Aldrich is the, the video coach and the perpetrator of these crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they want him his name removed from the Stanley Cup. Well how come you're not asking for Stan Bowman's name to be removed from the Stanley cup or Al McIsaac's name to be removed from the Stanley cup or Joel Quenville's name to be removed from the Stanley cup because they are just as complicit in this, in the sense that they covered it up. Even if there was only a short period of time that they covered it up, they covered it up for their, uh, for their own benefit. 
So how come their names stay on the cup? And 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 we haven't even gotten to Kevin Chevaldeoff, who's the GM of the Winnipeg Jets, who was the assistant GM of the Blackhawks at the time, who he still has a job currently. He was in those meetings, and he knew what would happen and didn't say anything. And he's meeting with with um, Bettman on Monday. Does he does he survive this? Like how how does he survive this? Like, how does anybody survive it? How does anyone? How does anyone? They all knew. And by the they way, this isn't this isn't a situation where think this is a horrible comparison. But like, think about what happened with with the Gruden findings, right? You have an you have an investigation that's going on about a different organization, and then these emails are found between an ESPN commentator and the president of a of of the team that's being investigated, and there's there's language in them that that is bad, offensive, all that. Mind you, nothing has come out about the organization that was being investigated hint hint leak from the league to try to you know divert the attention whatever that leads to it was what the weekend there there were initial comments were found on friday i believe uh it goes through the weekend the nfl apparently um notifies mark davis the owner of the raiders this is what was found you know you need to do something about this he doesn't do it and then more things get leaked and then the decision is made to quote unquote mutually part ways or to terminate john gruden that was over the course of four days. Somebody needs to explain how, uh, why does this guy get until Monday? Like at that point, you're at what, day five, day six, since the findings have been put out? Like what's gonna fundamentally change? Are we like just trying to like preserve this guy's image or or like his potential position so in the NHL? Here, like here's, what's the here's thought process? Pro- here's this another problem. Canc- like this isn't some kind of like arbitrary, you know, did somebody cancel get- culture thing, right. You know, cancel culture, no. The, these people were all part of it, a physical sexual assault and not addressing it that eventually led to this man moving on and assaulting three other people, whether found or allegedly, however you want to you know, qualify it so we don't get sued. It doesn't make any sense. So here's the other thing. That, here's the other thing I have a problem with with the NHL. Sure. They. So this 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 is not like a new report. It's not like something that just came out, right? I mean, this is something that's been out for several months. Um, and yes, the Blackhawks hired this company to do an independent uh, investigation. How does the league not say something in advance? How does the league not prepare for this properly, knowing that the, the, there's a potential for an absolute, you know, bombshell to come out here? that this very well could actually be true, that there was a cover-up by the organization that they all knew about. Like, this ha- this is not like this was something that has that just popped out on, on Tuesday. It was like, oh, big surprise. Look what happened. This is something that they knew about for months, for months. And they let it get to this point and didn't address it. They, they let Quenville coach another game. Cheval Dayoff's still the GM. The league is really, really mishandling this whole thing, too. It's not this. It's almost like, look, and they're not. I don't want to sit here and say that the league is complicit because they're not. But at the same time, knowing that this was coming, they had to. They needed to. You're talking about optics all the time. They needed to handle it differently. They needed yeah. to handle it differently, and they needed to address it sooner. And if, like, I, like we said, yes, maybe you're not saying Quenville's fired or or McIsaac or Bowman or or Cheval Dayoff or any of these guys who still have jobs in the league. Maybe you don't fire them right away, but don't you all say that they have to 
take a, a, a temporary leave from their job pending the outcome of this. Like that's what the league should have done. And yeah. then, then when the then when the report comes out, say, okay, now you guys are done. Now you guys are officially done. That yep. that would have been the right way to handle it. Instead, they did the oh, we're going to put our hands over our eyes, cross our fingers, hope that maybe this story is not true, hope that maybe that this this poor thirty one year old guy who's been for ten years living with this living with this pain and angst and anxiety that maybe he was making it up. Let's hope that. Let's root for that. I mean, that, that's just awful. It's let's just root poor. for let's let's root against a potential accuser. Yes. That's what the Great league's idea. done. That, that's what, what, a, what a what a fantastic what a what a bold strategy. This is such a shit show all the way around. It is the Blackhawks organization, all the people that are involved, and how the league has handled it to me is a complete and utter shit show. And what a uh, what a moment I'm sure uh, ESPN and TNT are thrilled to be a part of. And you think of how this right. went down, right Wednesday night, right after AEW Dynamite. Great show. Um, we have this fantastic game between the Flyers and the Oilers. And how do they lead off the half or the, uh, the first intermission report? They have to talk about this. They have to have talk the about Kyle this. Beach interview. They don't TSN. get, they, they don't. And to their credit, by the way, to TNT's credit, to that talent, to that, that onset talent's credit, they don't lead off with the exceptional first period of up and down hockey. That was right. a, a joy to watch. They lead with a, an absolutely tragic story that they have to assess I will say that I'm disappointed in a sense that Anson Carter seemed to be the only person who was really willing to kind of dive in on the ramifications for Quenville and that neither, um, you know, really biz or I don't think Tockett did nearly as much in terms of diving in, in that moment. I don't think it should have just been on one of the analysts to, uh, to offer up criticism. Um, I, I know that there were a few people who had reached out who, who DM'd asking if, if you and I had been watching it and what we thought and, and that honestly is where I'm at because I know that in the in the case of Tockett, like the, the guy is going to want to be an NHL coach at some point, and you have to be yeah. careful, I guess, in theory. In theory, like quote unquote, you have to be careful if you want to be employed again. But this is something that transcends, you know, anybody's job. That's it, it's beyond that. And I, I was a little bit disappointed that we didn't we didn't hear nearly as critical of remarks as we did from from uh, Carter, but kudos to them for if nothing else for leading with you know the, the most important story of of the the nhl i was gonna say universe but of like what was yeah. going on in, in the nhl last question i have about this whole thing mm-hmm. do you think kyle beach comes out publicly if the report does not identify john doe as a twenty-year-old nope. player at the time, nope. Because who, who was a black? Who was a black ace? Who was a black ace? Which, I mean, which limits but, obviously. It, the, well, first of all, the, there was only three twenty-year-old players on the Blackhawks at the time of the assault, yep. and in your entire organization, and Kyle Beach was the only one who was a black ace. He was a first-round pick um, two years prior. And so, therefore, you know, he would be one of those guys in an emergency who they would call up. The other two guys were just, you know, long-time AHL, like lower prospects. They weren't really guys that you would have on the Black Aces. So we all knew who it was. I mean, you know, all it took back was going, okay, well, who are the 20-year-olds? Go back and look at the list. Well, it's Kyle Beach, right? So we all knew who it was. 
Which, by the way, is, is, is reprehensible that, that that much detail was added into the report. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, I, does, does, does Kyle Beach's name come out if, that's, if those specifics are not in the report? That's what I like. So like to me, that's another thing that's to me is completely wild about this whole thing. If they just left it as John Doe, a player, you know, and I understand why they mentioned the black ace thing because of the relationship. You go, if you read the, read the whole story, um, Aldrich was how he preyed upon these guys was that, you know, he made them think that he had more power over, their ability to play at the NHL level with, you know, in his influence with the coaching staff and stuff. And so therefore, I mean, that's how he, that's how he convinced Kyle beach to get into this situation um, where the assault took place. Um, and I get it. So I, mean, I, I guess you had to kind of say it was a younger player, but you didn't have to say it was a black ace. You could have basically just said it was a young player in the Chicago Blackhawks organization. At least that way it gives it, a, a lot more anonymity. It could have been any one of 25 guys, right? As opposed to this only possibility. And I wonder, I mean, when you saw, when you saw Beach's one-on-one with TSN, I mean, he was emotionally, emotional wreck. Heartbreaking. Yeah, it was, it was awful to watch. And I like, it makes me wonder, did he want to be public about this or did he have no choice at that point? So that's, I think that, that's another I think thing. that's what, I mean, yeah, that, that I think is what it is, right? I mean, he mentioned in that interview that when he finally had the conversation with his parents, how hard it was and that his mom cried for days and that from that point until recently, they had not had the conversation as a family because they wanted to respect his, you know, his boundaries. Right. And so um, you think about the, the strength that it takes for a victim of, of sexual assault to come out, um, even to, to try to go after an accuser legally. Right. And in a lot of cases that that's just record right for court. That's not something that, uh, you know, you're, you're not going to see that on the, on the news necessarily when somebody makes this accusation against like another person, that's not of note. Um, and there, there's an inherent strength that comes with that. And what happened here is you have a, uh, a man who I don't think based on what we saw in that interview was ready to, yeah. to be named or yeah. to be put in a position to have to talk about it publicly. And we could be wrong. We don't know Kyle Beach, but just based on what we saw, the, the raw emotion, which I think anybody who's been through any kind of trauma, especially something like that, uh, it, it will trigger your emotional response and, 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 you know, maybe somebody who believes that they are ready, who's, who's gone to therapy, who believes that they're ready, they're still going to be raw emotion, but not only did this happen to him, not only was his life derailed in the way that it was that we kind of talked about at the start of this, but he was put in a position where he was going to have to address it and not just address it to his family and not just address it to his fans and not just address it to his former teammates he had to go on to national TV to give his side in a roughly 25 minute interview because the report that was made public effectively put the target right on his forehead. Right. And that, that right. is maybe almost as egregious of an error 
as anything else that's happened in this is that 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 kind of identifying information should have been redacted it was only pertinent to the um to the nhl in the investigation and to the organization and to anybody who was implicit in right subsequent fallout it never should have been made public knowledge and it put him in a position where um you just have to hope that there was something uh, about being able to address it and to kind of open himself up for support from so many people uh, from the hockey world and beyond that there could be healing for him. But this is not something that should have ever been made public in that way. And it, it, to me, it just further creates another layer of complexity and a black cloud and a smear um, in, in an already awful situation perpetrated by an NHL team handled poorly by the league itself and now put this out there and yeah it's 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 despicable but it happened yeah just just awful 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 thing for our sport russ really 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 bad but yep. we move on yep we have to yep. and we just have to hope that for for him and listen there there is another side to this right the other side is him going public whether he's he was felt forced to or not, maybe that gets somebody else who's been through a similar thing to get the strength to, to go forward and pursue their own, you know, legal path against somebody yeah. who's perpetrated a similar thing to them. So if there, I guess maybe if there's a silver lining, it could be that, but it, this is a, a very difficult conversation. It's a, a difficult thing that happened. And the one thing that I think we can all agree on is this is going to be one of those uh, dark marks on the league and will kind of live in infamy as one of the worst. I, I, I don't know if we'd consider it a cover-up. I think you can make the, the argument that it, it is a cover-up sure um, in, in American sports, in yeah. North American sports and sports yeah. in general. And the number of people who failed this young man along the way um, is just despicable. Sad. Really sad. And so, I think that's probably on that note. To, yeah. Where we, uh, <laughs> it, it, even as much as I like to try to, you know, diffuse a, a sad situation or a tension filled situation with humor, there's not a way to do it and it, it would be totally inappropriate too. So, yeah. No, we'll I mean, back. And, oh, well, not only that, I mean, we, we do have just, just to point out, I mean, we, we do have, a five-star no. review, but oh. we're not doing it. Yeah, we're not, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. And not because of the topic. Uh, I mean, I mean, that obviously make, you know, is a little bit of a downer, but um, the five-star review is kind of sort of addressed to Bundy. So we have, to, we have to save it for we him. We have to wait. We'll wait for Bundy. Yeah, we have to just wait next week. I'm sure that I'm sure that person will be who left the review. will be glad that we did wait until Bundy yes. is on the program. So just I agree. that out. Yeah. All right. So thank you for listening. If you listened all the way to the end here, we hope that uh, we did an okay job of, of going over this and uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we will move forward, obviously. Uh, you know, if there's anything else that, that happens as a result of this investigation, of course, we'll cover it here on the show, but um, you know, hopefully we had people really hyped up in the beginning of the episode with all of the, the good stuff about the flyers and, you know, for better or worse, we needed to address the situation because 
not discussing it at all, I think would be doing a, dis, a disservice to, uh, to, to Kyle Beach, to fans of the sport, yeah. um, to human beings in general. So, yeah. um, you know, we end on a, on a somewhat down note this week. Um, and that I think is, uh, I think that's probably a, a, a good place to, to end. I, I guess, you know, the only thing going forward is, you know, if you've been a, a victim or if there's something that, you know, you haven't been able to, to pursue in the past, um, you know, I guess we would just urge you to, to try to, you know, get the, the help that you need. Um, I'm trying to think of what the organization was that I, there, there used to be one, I think it was rain, right. Was the anti-sexual, uh, violence organization. Yeah. Um, there are a number of, of organizations that you can find online in case, uh, you know, you're in need of, of, of help. So we hope that if, uh, anyone is affected that, you know, you get the help that you need. So, uh, with that, we will wrap up this week's episode. Uh, you can find us obviously on Twitter and Instagram at snow, the goal. You can find Anthony at ant sand Philly. You can find me at joy on broad. You can find our show on facebook.com slash snow, the goalie. Um, we're going to continue to put the episodes up on YouTube as well. You can, uh, punch in snow, the goalie on YouTube. It's under the crossing broad channel. So if you're already subscribed to the crossing broad channel on YouTube, you can get them there as well. We've got our own little playlist of snow, the goalie interviews and snow, the goalie episodes. So, um, You'll make sure you go check it out there. If you'd like to watch as our glowing faces and the glowing background behind Anthony, you know, cheer everyone up as if he's being beckoned uh, at the end of Ghost, right? See, like that? Like that little Patrick Swayze kind of, you know, that's what I'm here for. I'm here for the hilarity. So uh, anyway, for Ant, for Bundy, who will be back next week, I'm Russ. Thanks for listening to Snow the Goalie. We will talk to you again next week.